Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. Today is uh, Tuesday, the 18th of May. Amidst calls from the Biden administration and others for a ceasefire, uh, war rages on uh, nonetheless in between the nation of Israel and the forces of Hamas based in Gaza. The efforts of Hamas appear to have been joined overnight by efforts from Lebanon and potentially Syria as missiles which failed to reach Israeli airspace were launched from Lebanon. That is the uh, the second time that, that that has occurred in the last 10 days. And then the, a military drone has been intercepted by Israel that may have originated in Syria. So we're going to talk more about what's going on in Israel um, and related to Israel with Pastor Stephen Curry. We're going to do that uh, at the bottom of the hour. Stephen actually is a brother in Christ whose um, who's own conversion to Christianity is a dramatic tale uh, and includes the martyrdom of his uncle. Um, Stephen is uh, is a pastor and a friend, and he's going to be with us in the bottom of the hour today. I want to talk here for a moment about what is also going on in India. The numbers are really quite staggering, and mass graves are being discovered in rural parts of the country as well. We projected this. We talked about the fact that uh, there's a lot of people in, in India who would not have been counted um, initially in terms of those who are dying in hospitals and those the government is aware of. And so more and more people um, they are discovering have, have died in rural communities across India and been buried by those communities. We need to rejoice with those who, who rejoice today, but we also need to be we- weeping with those who weep. And it occurs to me that many of us um, probably do not long consider the depth of grief for those who die with no hope. Um, Because we are people who grieve with hope as Christians. But when we're talking about the nation of India and we're talking about it's more than a billion people, we're talking about an overwhelmingly um, non-Christian nation. The percentage of Christians in India is extraordinarily low. And so we're talking about a nation um, mostly of people who would acknowledge Hinduism as their belief system. And I say belief system because Hinduism is not, uh, it's not a religion that we can refer to as like single and organized. Um, it's a family of religions. It embraces a lot of religious ideas. And so understanding the uh, the worldview of a person operating um in and out of Hinduism as their worldview, I think helps us to understand the kind of grief that people are there experiencing and hopefully also helps us understand how the gospel um, could be going forth there in these days in ways that are really extraordinary. So most forms of Hinduism worship a a single deity one at a time. They uh, they worship um, 
a single deity known as Brahman, but they still recognize lots of other gods and goddesses. And so followers believe there are lots of paths to reaching their god, um, and and they may worship a single deity at a time, but it is um, it is it is henotheistic. There are lots of gods, but one worshipped at a time, Brahma, Brahman among um, among them. Hindus also believe in the doctrines um, of samsara, so the continuous cycle of life, death, and reincarnation, and karma, the universal law of cause and effect, which is one of the reasons you and I, as Christians, should not refer to karma. First of all, we don't believe in uh, in karma, and it's confusing to people who do believe in karma. It's confusing to them when they hear Christians use the term. One of the key thoughts of Hinduism um, is is the belief in a soul. Now, this philosophy holds that living creatures have a soul. Every living creature has a soul, which leads them to be vegans most of the time, many, uh, much of the time. Um, they all believe they believe that all of those souls are a part of a supreme soul. And so the goal um, is to uh, achieve the end of the cycle of rebirth, reincarnation, where you would become part of the absolute soul, which would mean that you would no longer be an embodied soul of any creaturely variety. Um, Obviously, that is completely different uh, in terms of worldview, understanding of humanity, understanding of God, understanding of creation, understanding of salvation, completely different from the hope that we find in Jesus Christ and the acknowledgement that every uh, individual person is created as an image bearer of the living God. So um, for a, a people who believe in a religious system whereby their actions and thoughts directly determine their current and future lives, um, you can imagine the desperation that they are experiencing when, when they or those they love contract, suffer from, and die from COVID-19. Um, but I also want you to consider today the opportunity for the gospel. And let us pray today for Christians and churches and pastors and missionaries and Christian ministries that are operating in India and those that are reaching digitally into the lives of the Indian people, even in this very moment. Um, May God be glorified. May the word go forth. May it accomplish that for which God sends it. Um, And may we be used of God to not only um, pray for uh, folks who are desperately confused about who God is and who they are, um, but, but pray and be prepared to share the gospel. Um, with a dying and a hurting world. All right, next up, I got uh, Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. We're going to turn our attention to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's up next from Morning with Carmen. All right, joining me now, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Welcome back. Hey, Carmen, how you doing? I'm well. I'm well. All right, um, tell folks about the the Supreme Court agreeing to take up uh, a case, which you know might might be an interesting conversation for us in terms of um, abortion in America. Yeah, the court uh, announced yesterday that it was taking up a case for this coming term. So this term will start in October. It'll run all the way through the end of, of this year, the beginning of next year, of course. Uh, but it's a Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And the Jackson there refers to Jackson, Mississippi. 
And so this is a uh, law in Mississippi where uh, they have effectively banned abortion uh, for after 15 weeks of pregnancy uh, with some very, very small exceptions built into it. And the court agreed to take the case. And as, as you know, uh, that has sent shockwaves across uh, social media and traditional media as well, uh, because this is this first this court's first opportunity, this conservative court, so-called conservative court's first opportunity to really look at abortion and uh, maybe start to make some changes. But we'll have to wait and see. Well, it is a wait and see um, opportunity. Uh, I I want people to recognize that when Roe v. Wade was decided, it was decided based on this idea of viability, and it was kind of like made up whole cloth at that point in time. And so we've that there's a moving target, and part of the conversation is, um, you know, what does viability mean, and is that the right place to, you know, to say this is when um, a "Quote unquote right to abortion exists, and this is when it does not exist. It, it's an interesting opening up, I think, of the conversation related to um, if abortion is going to be accessible in America, when, at what point in pregnancy, and that's a, a an interesting and robust conversation, I think, for us to be having. Um, Mark, I want to talk about the the outline of a political agenda that I was, you know, not I just wasn't aware that the American atheists were so public about um, their political agenda. And I, I also was just not aware that, you know, they've they've now sat down with the Biden administration and laid out the secular agenda for the 117th Congress and the Biden administration. Yeah, it's. I think for religious Americans, in particular evangelicals, probably specifically, uh, they're probably not all that aware of the role that uh, seculars or so-called nuns, as we say sometimes, people who have no religious affiliation, uh, or those who are atheists or agnostics. It's a pretty significant group of people uh, in our country, and they've become a pretty important voting block for Democratic uh, candidates, presidential candidates in particular. Um, if you look at the data, roughly a quarter of Americans fit into this none category. Uh, that's almost the same, basically, as evangelical Protestants. And so it's a big group of people, and it shouldn't surprise us then that they're organized and effectively uh, entering into politics. And so, as you said, a group of American atheists met with Joe Biden uh, and went over sort of their list of things that they really would like to see the Biden administration tackle um, and, you know, for me as a political scientist, I think it's fascinating in a lot of ways, but their agenda is basically the mirror agenda of Christian conservatives. Uh, take almost all the issues that Christian conservatives are interested in, same issues for the American atheists. They're obviously just coming down in a different perspective. Uh, so they want to maintain and protect abortion rights. They want to maintain uh, the separation of church and state. Uh, they'd like to roll back religious exemptions and our civil rights laws. Uh, and other things like that. Um, and so it's a, it's a very public organization. You know, I think even in my lifetime, it's been fascinating to see how that's changed. Uh, when I was a, a young kid, I think it would have been pretty unusual for people to say, well, you know, we're atheists, we're, we're united together, and we're going to make a big difference politically. Uh, things have changed quite a bit uh, over the last 50 years. There's um you know there's there's real opposition and you know to an a uh, to an agenda that would be pro life pro marriage, um, pro religious liberty in the way that we understand it. Um, there are those who are aligned against all of those uh, ideas in terms of the way we function together as a people, um, and that's you know 
politics. And so I just uh, I thought that highlighting that for folks this morning um, might be helpful and interesting. I want to reserve um, the the second portion of our conversation for um, for something that you have written and your take on uh, on the movie Nomadland, because um, this is a different kind of conversation for you and I to have and one I think that people will enjoy. So Mark Caleb Smith, uh, as I mean, he's coming to us more like Adam Holtz on Friday, bringing us a movie review. We're going to talk about Nomadland up next. All right, Mark Caleb Smith and I are going to do something that we don't ordinarily do, which is talk about a movie. All right, Nomadland. I'm going to just let you take it from here and introduce us to Fern. Fern is uh, the nomad from the title, and uh, she is fleeing in the film a town called Empire, uh, ironically named, of course, a town that basically went under after the 2008 recession. And she's fleeing the town by living in a van. Um, she she sleeps in the van. Uh, she cooks in the van. She has storage for everything that she needs in her van. And her van is her ultimate traveling companion. Uh, she goes around the country, the western United States primarily. Uh, she works jobs when they come up, usually seasonal kinds of jobs. And she occasionally drifts into some of the same kinds of people at meetings and things like that. Uh, but she's a nomad. She lives all over the place. And the film is really about her choices and her story. As she's, I think, ultimately she's searching for meaning and she's searching for some way to define her life. Um, it's a, I think it's a terrific film, uh, but I can also understand why a lot of people would be, would really struggle through Nomadland. It's slow. Um, it's not your typical Hollywood film. There are no car chases, no explosions. Uh, but it, I think it is a really interesting take on where we are as a society. So from a Christian worldview, is Fern doing anything that is, um, obviously illegal or immoral? No, not at all. I mean, Fern and is yeah, and Fern's not like a like a lazy slouch either. No, I mean, when you look at Fern's choices, uh, they're unconventional. But there's nothing evil or immoral or sinful about what she's doing. Uh, she's not lazy, as you said. She's not trying to have other people take care of her. Uh, she works hard, and she takes care of herself as much as possible. Occasionally, that becomes difficult, as you might expect. Um, but no, she's not living a life that most of us would look at and say, you know, she's really a drain on society. That's for sure. Um, but I think she's just really struggling to find meaning in her life more than anything else. Uh, and I think the film in its own way, I think, argues that this is where many of us are as a society. You know, we're not living in a van, uh, but we, you know, we feel disconnected. We feel rootless. And I think that's really Fern's big struggle in the film and I think you can argue that it's a struggle that many, many Americans are going through, even if they don't live in a van. So um, you describe this movie. And again, I'm I'm referring to a piece that Mark Caleb Smith has posted right now at BereansAtTheGate.com. So you can read there, Nomadland, A New Kind of Western by Mark Caleb Smith, my guest today. Um, you, you describe the movie as... Um, organically political and yet and yet um it's not there's nothing preachy about this uh film no that's right i mean it, it's it's only a political film in the sense that it has themes 
that I think are important for political discussion. But it isn't about a law. It's not about an interest group. It's not about members of Congress. It's not about voting or forming interest groups or anything like that. It's uh, it's really, I think, a take on American society in its own way. And so uh, I think it, I think it's probably a criticism of American capitalism. And it argues that people like Fern sort of fall through the cracks of American capitalism. And uh, so many of us, they would say, I think, are suffering in similar kinds of ways. It isn't about being socialist or communist or something like that. But I think that it does look at kind of the rough edges of our system and it, and it just questions the humanity of it in its own way. But, yeah, I think organically political is a good description of it. Um, it doesn't beat you over the head with a political message. And if you watched it not looking for a political message, you wouldn't necessarily find it. So um, this reminded me uh, – I have not seen Nomadland, um, but you have inspired me uh, to, to do so. Um, it reminded me of something that I had recently read, read that something like 10 million Americans now buy – now own very high-end um, RVs that they could literally live out of, and many of them are working out of across the country. Um, and so I, I have in front of me an article about a guy in Austin, Texas – um, who said, you know, my goal now is to uh, is to go to every state park, every national park, because I can literally work out of my van. Um, and you don't know what you have until you've either lost it or sold it. So this guy sold most of his possessions, including his home, and bought this customized RV, which is, um, let's just say, not the kind <laughs> of customized uh, white Ford cargo van that right. Fern is living out of. And uh, And let's just say that um, my guess is that even the restroom situation in these two is the you know most stark difference. <laughs> but they're not they're, – they're both kind of doing the same thing. They're yeah. – I mean, you know, and so um, there's, this, there's this odd critique that we make of Fern, but we don't make that same odd critique of people who, um, you know, sell everything they have and buy an RV and load their kids up in it and homeschool their kids out of right. the RV yeah. and drive around the country to every national park. Like, why do we feel so differently because Fern doesn't have a lot of money? Yeah, I'm not sure that we should. I mean, I think they're both efforts to live without community. And mm. I, I, you know, I have my own biases and I'm sure you do too. I don't think human beings are meant to live in isolation. And I think this desire to sort of wall yourself off from society um, in the end isn't healthy. Uh, that doesn't make it immoral. It doesn't make it evil. Uh, but even in the film, and if you watch it, you'll see this. I mean, Fern, she needs relationships occasionally. And when she runs into people, she builds kinds of relationships with them. And so I think even she knows that she can't function all by herself. Um, and I think it strains her sometimes when she is by herself. But yeah, you know, this kind of mo mobile society that we're looking at in many ways, it really did start with the advent of the automobile, where people could move farther away from where they grew up, and they could work farther away from the community they live in. And so our mobile society, in some ways, this is just a natural end result of it. Uh, I appreciate what you say in your piece about the longing for community. Um, I, I appreciate what you say about nature and, uh, you know, how people would strive to to find what they're looking for in it, but it's going to ultimately come up just short of what they're yeah. desiring. And the the conversation about wisdom, um, in in addition to the the storylines related to family and material 
uh, material need. So thank you for the way you have approached it um, in your piece. Again, friends, I would highly recommend you, and I'll tweet it out, uh, Mark Caleb Smith's piece from BereansAtTheGate.com, Nomadland, A New Kind of Western. Uh, Mark, thank you for giving this some thought, and thank you for teeing this up in our conversation today. Thanks, Carmen. I always appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, you too. We'll be right back. What in the world is going on in uh, in Israel today? Um, we are going to talk with Pastor Stephen Curry. Uh, Stephen and I had an opportunity to spend some time together in the Holy Land a number of years ago. He is the vice president of Holy Land Missions. It's a ministry that reaches out to the lost in Israel. Uh, he has been uh, he has been at this as a pastor for a number of years, although. Um, he is a really young guy. He is, in fact, the youngest ordained Israeli Arab pastor in the nation of Israel and the surrounding countries. Um, you are going to love him um, immediately, and you're going to be driven to your knees to pray for him and his Christian brothers and sisters who are actively preaching the gospel in the nation of Israel. Um, so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. When parents ask me how to better communicate with their teens, I usually start with this, quit talking. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It might seem harsh, like I'm trying to stunt the growth of a parent-child relationship, but actually, keeping your mouth shut can be a catalyst for development and greater maturity in your teen. You see, when you're constantly reminding, teaching, and correcting teens, it backfires on us. You're giving them the answer because you want to fill them with wisdom, but every answer you give is one they don't have to figure out themselves. It's a recipe for stunted growth. So try this out with your team today. Improve your communication. Resist the temptation to lecture. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. technical challenge connecting with uh, Pastor Stephen Curry in Jerusalem right now. Um, And so while Paul is diligently working on that, let me bring you up to speed on what is happening um, right now in uh, in the Holy Land. So um, I'm going to dutifully, I'm going to very dutifully look at just the the update, the current update. So this is a live update. characterized by, this will not surprise you, characterized by many in the media as a humanitarian disaster or catastrophe um, and focused on what is happening in Gaza. Uh, There is some some hope that a ceasefire could be brokered in the next uh, day or two, but people in Gaza are facing shortages of clean water, um, medicine. Uh, Obviously, many of them have have had their homes destroyed. there this is a complex situation and when you hear um someone just say that Israel has a right to defend herself um that is absolutely true 
And when you hear that Hamas is the one, uh, which is, by the way, a terrorist organization, it's not as if Hamas is a government. It it is not. It's a terrorist organization. Um, And so when you hear that Hamas, you know, quote unquote, started this, started raining missiles down um, on Israel, that is also true. Uh, And so when you hear that Israel has in the last couple of days, uh, this has been like nine days of conflict this time around, when you hear that they have uh, destroyed a number of a number of buildings and Hamas tunnels, uh, that is true as well. All right. Stephen Curry now joins us uh, via Skype live from uh, Jerusalem. Stephen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, shalom and salam and greetings to you. Oh, I love you, my brother. Um, Jim and I have been Thank praying you so for much. you and your family and um, and your congregations, our brothers and sisters in Christ, so frequently. Um, talk with us about today. Uh, where are you today and how are things today? Thank you, dear. We, we, we so love you guys. We appreciate your support over the years and getting people to know about what God is doing. I am in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem almost daily. Uh, we have ministries ministering amongst the Arab communities, Muslims, Catholics, Greek Orthodox. Um, today, we are just trying to be a pillar of light uh, in a dark season, a dark time. Um, so I am in the mornings and afternoons in Bethlehem. In the evenings, I'm in Jerusalem visiting homes, helping the hungry, helping the poor, and just being that voice of righteousness of God uh, in such a dark time. So, Stephen, you know, for you to say that you are in Bethlehem in the morning and in Jerusalem in the afternoon, um, those are not, they're not very far apart geographically, but they are worlds apart in terms of the experience of people living in those two places. Describe for listeners who've never been to Israel the difference between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Sure. So, as you all know, everybody says Israel, but it's such a conundrum within it. You have um, about 12 to 13 million, if you add Gaza into the mix, Israel beside without Gaza is around 11, 11 and a half million plus or minus. You have around 8 million to 9, 8 to 9 million Jews, uh, 8.5 million Jews, and then the rest are Arabs. In the Arab communities, uh, the majority of the Arabs live on the Palestinian side of the West Bank. When you look at the map, People uh, think the West Bank, they go over to the west of the map of Israel. But it's actually just called the West Bank because it's the west of the Jordan River. So you take that to go even a deeper lens. Um, You have Israel, Israel proper, meaning all the lines within the 1967 and the 1948 lines. And then you have, that's called Israel proper within the Green Line. Then you have the West Bank, which is the Palestinian community that's being led by the Palestinian Authority or the Palestinian Authority used to be called PLO uh, under Arafat, who who established the 1995-96 Oslo. So you take that today, put into perspective, um, there's been a generation of generation of seeing violence and bloodshed and and killing and, and retaliation and so forth. Uh, down deep, each one of these would have their own ideology on what uh, fighting looks like. Some have taken to the internet, some have taken social media, some have taken with blood and revenge and so forth. Um, what's different right now is we've never seen the Jewish-Israeli young community um, sort of retaliate in the same manner uh, as some of the young fanatical extremists, they call them, uh, who would stab 
attack, beat someone, uh, run with a car, or run through a crowd of people, the car, what be it. We started to see similar actions from the Israeli Jewish community. Thankfully, that is not that's not blanket everyone. Thankfully, there's still a lot more better Jews, a lot more better Israelis, a lot more better Arabs are still a, a voice of light in the darkness. Stephen, it's um, <clears throat> it's it's so difficult for uh, for for someone who's never been to Israel to just understand uh, how small the geography is, how close together this is all um, this is all happening. Um, it's it's also hard for us to understand, uh, let's say, your personal testimony. And I think it would be helpful for people to understand um, you and your passion for the gospel, for them to know your story. So could you tell our listeners your story? Sure, dear. Um, I'll give you the short version. I was born in Jerusalem, and I grew up in the city of Bethlehem all my life. Um, sometimes when people hear me speak English, they think I was born in America. I wasn't. I was born here. I grew up here all my life. Um, I went to the U.S. just for college for four, four, four and a half years for my B.A. and master's and came back to the Holland. And this is my calling. Uh, I grew up under a father who is a very strong uh, Bible teacher. He was also an influencer. Um, he taught me the context that the, the Bible rules our emotions. The Bible rules our philosophy. The Bible rules our theology. And the Bible rules our politics and everything we think. So he taught me early on that we serve and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, put all politics aside. This is a biblical fact that we serve the, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. That philosophy and that Bible teaching, uh, Carmen, led to our church to be bombed many times over the years with, with Molotov bombs. That church members being physically beaten, church members attacked. Uh, I was I had the privilege uh, to be physically beaten viciously by uh, by around seven six or seven men with metal chains and wooden sticks in their hands. They put me to the ground. They began to beat me over and over and over again, calling me names like infidel and proselyzer and so forth, simply because I was discipling uh, uh, their cousin, and, and he, they came from a very large Muslim family. Now I always tell people when I share these stories of persecution, attacks, and and, and so forth, that should not be blanket on every Arab or every Israeli, every Jew or what be it, because there's always those groups that show their disapproval and hatred, animosity in their own way, but there are people still out there, their hearts are open. Um, and just to say one more thing to that personal testimony, that beating that I received viciously, it was intended to scare me, to shut me down. But all it did is made my love for God stronger, because in the middle of that beating, as I was being beaten to the ground, I remember I shouted, I said, Lord, you get me through this. I love you. I serve you more. Just, just get me out of this vicious beating. I remember I felt the presence of God like never before. I tell people I literally felt like a white blanket just cover cover me. And that was his presence. I was beaten, but I was not afraid. I was being viciously attacked to the ground, but I had no pain. And once I prayed that prayer... And that beating was intended to scare me, but it made a beast out of me for the kingdom. Because I don't think I would be here today uh, preaching, teaching the gospel. And we have underground churches. 
distributing the Bible tracts, um, uh, printing the gospel. We have evangelism outreach program. We have uh, six different church ministries in underground and above the ground. And all this is to give God the glory. And of course, our, our 501c3 in America, which is our umbrella uh, in America, that's overseas what we do here. But today, it, it, over 11, 12, 13 active ministries in the land of Israel uh, and in the Palestinian communities. I'm talking with brother in Christ and pastor uh, Stephen Curry. You can uh, find him at holylandmissions.org. Stephen and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Pastor, pastor Stephen Curry. Um, you can find him at holylandmissions.org. Um, In the Backyard of Jesus uh, is one of his books, and it is excellent. It uh, tells you his personal story. He is an Arab pastor living under persecution in the Holy Land, but I would not describe him as uh, as a person um, <clears throat> who is living under anything other than the uh, the authority and the protection of the living God, um, because <clears throat> he, uh, he does not live as a man under anything other than Christ. Um, so, um, talk with us, Stephen, about our brothers and sisters in, uh, in, in Jerusalem and in Bethlehem today, because I think that helping, um, helping, uh, American Christians understand the reality that we have Christian brothers and sisters, um, in, in Israel is essential to, the way we pray uh, and, and engage on uh, issues related to the ongoing conflict. Thank you so much for 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 bringing that to attention, dear. Because there there is a dilemma. The dilemma with many, you know, pro-Israel uh, uh, brothers sisters in Christ. Uh, some call them Zionist Christians, and I've had the privilege to speak at a lot of these conferences. You know, people just love Israel to a point. Uh, that sometimes they do fall into the, the the issue of loving Israel more than the God of Israel, <laughs> and and they forget the context of what God's intention through Paul Romans nine ten eleven what it's all about, and and, and what what I mean is they get so entrenched in it and they forget that there are there is the Ishmael it's in the equation, there is. There is a covenant made with God and Abraham before him, between him and Isaac and Ishmael. God talks about that his his promise, his covenant is with Isaac. But then he says, I also, God talks about, he also has a covenant and a promise to Ishmael, but a different looking. What do I mean by this? I mean, you have people in this country who are non-Jews, Arabs, Russians, Ethiopians, um, people from other race. Who have made their way here to the land? They've now they have their Israeli residencies and passports and citizenship. They need the gospel. That's what Paul talks about. Talks about that that, that, that none shall perish. Christ talks about. He talks about that in John ten. So you have Arab believers in in Christ in Yeshua, who feel left out. Why? Well. They, they get lumped in with the rest of the voice. And sometimes, a lot of times, the rest of the voice are people that are anti-Bible or anti-Israel or anti-West and, and so forth. So they can't speak out because if they do, their houses will be burnt, uh, their, their kids will be harassed in schools and so forth. The few that do speak out, like myself, we get attacked, death threats, 
physically beaten. My father was shot at. Um, and and I, I talk a lot about a lot of this in my book and, of course, on the website as well. But we pay a price. What keeps me going? And what keeps us people like me on the ground here? Our love for Christ. I tell people I'm already dead. I mean, I, I mean I've already I've already signed out. I'm just till till the day I meet uh, my Creator and I kneel before Him uh, before the judgment seat. Before I do that, until that comes, uh, I will serve Him uh, and try to bring light to this dark world. But we have to remember, I can't do it alone. That's why I train people. I train leaders. We train younger generation to be disciples for Christ. We have a worship generation um, today where we just sent out a video. It's almost hit now 20,000 views where we tell people this is what some do during war, Carmen. And what we did is we, we have twice a week meeting for these young kids, 21, 21 kids between ages of 6 till, um, till 12. And they worship and pray for two hours. And the other day, there was, a there was missiles, rockets flying. And there was fire bombs and demonstrations around the block from our church. And these kids were praying. So I did a video, walked in, and I got on my knees and began to weep and to pray with them. And we just did it. We just, with the guys decided to shoot it on a, on a video. And we just put it out on YouTube. So I want to conclude on this to say, we, we cannot pray for the Jews and, 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 and leave the Arabs out. And, and those of you who are listening, you might be pro-Arab, or you might have a leaning to one side. You can't. There is enough room in the heart of the Father to love both. God mm. has a heart to love the Jew and the Arab. Why not we? And that's what I want to say on that, dear. So one of the, I think, uh, deep confusions that I encounter um, is how is Israel, first of all, modern Israel versus biblical Israel? Like, there's that conversation. And then there's also the relationship between Israel and the church, like the relationship between the Christians and the Jews, um, how do you navigate those conversations? Because they're so thick. Yeah. Oh boy, that's what 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 a what a what a can of worms. <laughs> so I'll I'll, I'll try. Let's to, go I'll fishing. Let's go fishing. Yeah, let's exactly. go fishing with that can of worms. <laughs> yeah, let's go fishing. We, we we can we can have a lot of hours of fishing here. So basically, I always tell people the best way to do it is you have to. But you have to break it down to three different categories. You have to compartmentalize this. You have you have a political issue, you have a religious issue, and you have a social, uh, social and civil issue. If you break it down to three three settings, it, it, it's easier to to swallow that pill. So religiously, you have the thing called replacement theology and covenant theology. Replacement theology is the ultra ultra extreme side, which is also called I call it supersessionism. I did a teaching on that on on, on a, in a conference once, also on Christian magazine. Um, so it's a context is of extreme bitterness, hatred. It's unannounced, unknown in somebody's heart. They hate the Jewish people. They might not know it. They might not say the word hate, but they have that because they crucified Christ. So and they betrayed him. They said no to him, so they lost their opportunity. That's called complete replacement theology. Uh, of course, I do not adhere to that. I do not believe in that. What I do believe is God has an everlasting covenant with his people, dealing with the land and so forth, especially dealing with the end times. But Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John. No man comes to the Father but by me or, by, or but through me. So that's the religious conundrum, the, the religious conundrum that exists. The Jewish people, they are waiting for the Messiah. 
He has not come yet, we believe, uh, because that's what the scriptures tells us. They say that our Christ, our Messiah, does not match the Messiah, which is found in, in, in Psalms and in, in Zechariah or in, or in, in their Talmudic teachings. Um, it, 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 he does not match that. So what do we do? Do we want hate them? Do we want to just completely turn our backs and reject them? Or do we reach out, reach a hand out, build a relationship with them, and then lead them to, to a relationship with Jesus? I, we chose to take number three, Carmen, and here's why. Because we believe in Romans 11, which says we was out of the jealousy from the love of the Gentile world to, to the God of Israel, they, will, they, they might return back to him. So we've had a lot of Orthodox Jews come to me or to, to some of the people we're training who say we are jealous. Literally, they say we are jealous. We want the relationship you have with God. Of course, they're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But at the end of the day, we know it's the same one. And just mm -hmm. to, to quickly answer the second two parts, the civil and the justice issue, you do have a lot of things happening that are, are, are not are not fair. They're not justice. They're not righteous uh, on, on both sides. I, I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm in this country. Uh, people sometimes when they hear me say this, they're shocked. Like, Pastor Curry, you love Israel. How would you say that? Well, they're not perfect. Um, you know, any, anybody who lives here tells you the Israeli Jews are perfect. I, I, I tell people they live, they live in La La Land. They, they don't live in the same country that I live. They're not born in the same country I do. Or Arabs. They say Arabs, if somebody says Arabs are, are angels, they can't do wrong, no wrong. I tell them again, they're living in La La Land. So you have a civil and social issue. We have to deal with it. How did Jesus deal with it? He always went back to the scriptures. And then politics, that's a different game. There's, I, I just said something on, on, on TV yesterday, Carmen, literally. I just talked about let's, let's, let's call for love and peace and forgiveness. And they called for my death, literally last night. They called that I should be killed. Just by mm -hmm. saying we need to have peace and love and forgiveness. But we, we got to keep moving forward. We got to keep doing outreaches and helping the hungry, helping the poor while sharing the gospel. And that's why we need people to stand with us right now for the next 24 hours for an emergency state, to be able to go out and, and feed the hungry and let people know we are here boots on the ground. Stephen, um, we're going to pray with you and for you. We're going to invite people to visit the website and support what you're doing, holylandmissions.org. Um, thank you, my brother. Thank you, dear. God bless you all. We'll be right back. Hey, I have a um, primer posted on uh, this whole conversation uh, about Jews and Christians and Israel and the church and how we understand it. Um, I just tweeted it out. Uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm at Carmen LaBerge. Otherwise, I'm going to um, tee it up to the top of my website, which is reconnectwithcarmen.com. So you can get that primer there as well. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.